you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Explained is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. It's a brand new edition of the NFL Explained podcast. Mike Yam, joined as always by my good friend, Michael Robinson. I thought about you when I was getting dressed this morning. What? Yeah, if you, hear, hear me out okay. on this. I don't know so where this is going. You and I were doing the NFL Total Access podcast together, and I got made fun of for not having large muscles, so I said <laughs> I would wear an extra small shirt the next time that we work together. I did not go down that path, but believe me, when I was putting the sweater on this morning, I was like, do I go? Do I go smear? Medium, and I was like, you know, no, I'm not going to do it. Yams, I thought you were going to say, do I go do some push-ups or... <laughs> I did work out this morning. No, no, no. Let me just take smaller clothes to make myself look bigger. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me not work out. I actually, I actually worked out this morning, which is okay. part of the. I felt swell, swole, swole, swole. swole. Man, yeah. There you go. So I thought I could have, but I decided not to go down that path. Legitimately <laughs> excited for today's podcast. And by the way, I always talk about the DMs that are coming in. Legit, so many great questions. Mailbag episode was terrific. We got more mailbag episodes yes. down the road. This one I'm excited about because I think you are uniquely qualified to discuss this topic. It's all about how to draft a quarterback, why it's so hard to get it right. But I'm going to start with an old school cliche. Hardest thing in sports is to hit a baseball. Are you buying that or no? It's very tough to hit a baseball, dude. Like it is. But to me, what a quarterback has to do to manipulate a defense, to be able to read a defense, to be able to understand what the offensive game plan is, to understand what the team game plan is. Oh, yeah. And you got other 300-pound grown men who run a 4-5 or five who are trying to come rip your head off. Uh, that That's tough, Yams. That, that's really tough. And I had a coach one time, Mike Nolan, give us an example. He told us we passed around a football and we just talked about what the football meant to us. And you start to realize that football is everybody's hopes and dreams and yeah. everything, and the quarterback touches that damn thing every single play. 
that lets you know how important he is to the team. Yeah, it, it, this is not for this episode, but that's why to win MVP is so hard if you're not a quarterback. Oh, yeah. I actually think there's a case for some guys that are non-quarterbacks this year. You and I have talked about that off air. Yes. That's for another episode. <laughs> uh, but the argument, obviously, playing quarterback being ridiculously hard to do is really significant and in a lot of ways really valid. There's so much information. You got analytics, you got game film. The hardest thing, though, to do is not maybe playing quarterback. It's actually finding a quarterback and then drafting that person. We just finished up week 12 of the NFL season. There's so much hype and hoopla. Hype might be the word. Hoopla is, <laughs> I don't even know if hoopla is really technically a word. I'll look it that up is later. today. It is today. Yes, go. <laughs> About what's happening in New York, right? I mean, Zach Wilson gets drafted second overall, and instead it's Mike White who goes in, Wilson gets benched. I was listening to NFL Network insider Mike Arafolo mm -hmm. talk about this on one of our shows, and he said, no, man, like this idea that Zach Wilson might not be the quarterback anymore, the Jets, he's like, draft position matters. And that's why his time in New York might not be done at this point. But throwing the football, the idea of like boosting your stock, I mean, Zach Wilson, I think back, man, he's at BYU. There was this past, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? There's this video that went viral before the draft. He's rolling out and he's throwing. Daniel Jeremiah had a tweet and he's like, yo, Sam Darnold did the same thing in an actual NFL game. How much, though, do you think moments like that impacted where Zach was taken in the draft? Well, I think Zach Wilson and his agent and his pre-draft team did a marvelous job of uh, marketing Zach Wilson, of controlling his pro day and making sure that you accentuated the things that maybe was his special power, which is the arm angles and the arm talent. But I remember that viral video and I remember saying, yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good pass. He's kind of rolling to the left and he kind of launched it and, it and it went all the way back to the right. That's a That's a big boy throw. But uh, can he read single safety, middle field safety, open or not? Can he just hit three steps and just hit the regular pass? That's what I was interested in seeing. And at the end of the day, when, when you see these pro days and you see, you know, especially today's quarterback and how today's pro days are manipulated by passing gurus and all of sure. those things, they're almost showing the offensive coaches exactly what they want to see as opposed to showing maybe – some of the negative aspects of the quarterback that maybe we saw on tape that maybe now that quarterback is better in. I also think we gravitate towards the big-armed guys. Yep. Like, I think back to Thanksgiving Because you can see that. You can see it. Yes. Exactly. Josh Allen makes a throw towards the end of that game, mm -hmm. and David Carr, I was working Thanksgiving with David Carr, and David's like, watch this throw. It never leaves the screen. Mm -hmm. And it until he said that, I was like, Oh, damn, he's right. Like, you don't see throws like that. I saw this zip pass that's there. But what's really fascinating, and you've highlighted a lot of these throws, it's not always about the, the you know, the 100-mile-an-hour fastball, getting back to baseball. Sometimes it's that touch pass, that intermediate pass. Like, we've highlighted some of those throws, and not every quarterback can make that throw. And I think, to your point, that's really important. It is very important. And you know, Yams, you know I played a lot of different positions you in did. this game. You know, I blocked at a high level, tackled at a high level on special teams. I've caught the ball at a high level in college, all of those things. And all of those different positions that I've played, especially the receiver side of things, you notice that there's two parts to a catch. There's the throw and there's the quarterback and all of those things. Yeah. But there's also the catch. 
and understanding how the ball is when the when the receiver gets it, right? And a lot of these quarterbacks, because when we're young, we're taught, oh, we want to have these big, strong arms, so we want to put as much heat on it as we want because, again, like you said, that jumps off the tape. That gets us the style points. That gets us the cool points. When at the end of the day, if that nose is down and the ball is coming too fast, six times out of ten, that receiver's probably going to drop it. And so you had to figure out. I know when I played quarterback, you started to have to figure out how can I make that nose come up? Yeah. How can I make the ball a little bit more catchable for the wide receiver? And then, then my numbers will go up. I think those are some of the things that in this generation of quarterback and that we're starting to see young quarterbacks start to accentuate a little bit. And it, you can see it in Tua, Tua Tonga-Vailoa. I mean, look at his timing and anticipation. That is that kid's superpower. And it's his timing and anticipation is at a level that not a lot of quarterbacks in this league have. How hard is it? Because this is part of the evaluation process that I want to get you on. But there's no way for you to tell. I, every Sunday we watch games and there's at least one quarterback who makes a throw. Guys like, I don't know, 15 feet from him. Mm -hmm. And he's throwing it like he's 40 feet from him. Yes. And I can't get over. I'm like, man, you don't. How can you not evaluate the distance like a golfer who goes out on the golf course? Like, I'm not taking my driver out when I get to the green, right? Like the feel of that stuff, like that's hard to measure. Oh, it's very much hard to measure. That's why you have to look at so much tape on these quarterbacks, man. I mean, and look at the types of throws that these guys have had and how they will their teams to wins. Because at the end of the day, all of these quarterbacks, before they got to the National Football League, are the top, you know, top in their game. And, and they all figure out ways to win games exclusively off, the, yeah. off of their talents and off of their arms. All right, so I want to take everyone back. 2021 draft, five quarterbacks taken in the first round, including Wilson. Third quarterback taken was Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. I was actually covering the Niners mm -hmm. for NFL Network, and there was all this uh, conversation around if they were going to go and take Trey, and, and maybe Mac Jones was in the mix. Uh, Justin Fields was also there, but third quarterback was Trey Lance. He basically played one season and coming out of high school, he had no Power 5 college offers. So the mm. hype meter just continued to build for this guy. Didn't turn over the ball a ton. What he was able to do in the play-action pass, that was something that was really attractive to Kyle Shanahan. I remember having conversations with him about that. But does the media actually play a role in which players are gaining momentum? Like, take me through this evaluation process. Because to be honest with you, like, I didn't think the Niners, I was there mm -hmm, at Levi's, mm -hmm. I didn't think they were going to take Trey Lance. Like, no. there was a real Mac Jones conversation, there was a real Justin Fields conversation, and yet here it was, this North Dakota State kid, that's the dude that they went with. It's crazy yams how the National Football League has changed in such a relatively short time. I came out in the 2006 draft. You're talking about the quarterbacks in the 2021 draft. The big knock on me, I was Big Ten Player of the Year, Heisman finalist, one of the top college players in the country, playing quarterback. And the knock on me at the quarterback position was I didn't have enough game reps. That's what they told me. They said, we really don't feel comfortable giving you an opportunity. I heard this from multiple teams because they said, you know, the Matt Leinerts, the Vince Youngs of this draft, they just have 5,000 more game reps than you. Fast forward to 2021 and you're talking about Trey Lance, you know, high school, a year of high school, only one year of college football. Didn't play in the Power Five, but yet he gets drafted third overall. I mean, that's what a way that this game has changed. But when you talk about the media influencing decision makers, look, I don't think it's direct in the regard of – 
you know, um, a general manager calling Michael Robinson or Daniel Jeremiah and saying, hey, uh, what do you think about this guy? Or, you know, just looking at us on television and making their professional opinion based off of that. But I will say this. All decision makers have family and friends, Yams. All of them do, whether they have young people in their family, wives or whatever the case may be. And those people watch the media. So I will say decision makers can be indirectly influenced by the media just based off of the conversations they have by the people closest to them in their circles, right? Their family members and things like that, watching people on NFL Network like myself giving their opinions. And that's how I can see that a decision maker gets kind of, I don't know, um, kind of gets influenced in the peripheral of the evaluation process. But I will say this, the good people in media yams, the great people in media talk to real decision makers in the yeah. National Football League. And oftentimes if a guy's name is rising up, you know, rising up the ranks and gaining a lot of momentum, it's not by mistake. Oftentimes there's a decision maker somewhere in the National Football League that's telling that media person, oh, yeah, this is the guy that we want to put our hands on. And that's why the name is, is rising. You know, I respect you a ton. So if you're talking and I'm on my phone, I'm not like texting someone man, or on good, Twitter, bro, right? Wait, man, so I, I made reference to the fact that I was at that draft and you yes. said something about your starts in mm-hmm. college. And immediately I thought about a stat that I was using in a lot of my reports. Love technology. I was able to find it. <laughs> so check this out about Trey Lance. 17 college starts, 318 attempts. Like think about that. 17 college starts is one thing. Like, that doesn't really register. I know that's not a lot, but 318 attempts, that's crazy. Up until that point, the last 10 Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, 35 career starts and Mm. over 1,200 attempts. That's what they did in college. Mm -hmm. So think about the amount of experience that translates. And this kind of feeds into the draft conversation that we're having right now. Some GMs might prioritize, hey, give me the guy that's, 35 career starts and 1,200 attempts. And John Lynch and Shanahan said, no, 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 I'm good. The guy with 17 college starts and 318 attempts, I see something in him that I think I can work with. I'm going to roll with this dude. Well, and I also think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are just looking at their roster and saying, hey, all right, is this roster good enough to absorb a quarterback that doesn't have that much experience? Because we're going to go through some growing pains. Sure. The, the difference between those 35 starts for other Super Bowl winning quarterbacks and the 17 for Trey Lance, I mean, you you can't just get those. You just can't make that stuff up. I mean, that's real experience that he does not have, but you make it up in the roster that you surround him with now. The question is still out on whether Trey Lance has enough ability to elevate this offense. Time will tell. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. 
There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was gonna change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to the NFL Explained Podcast. Mike Am and Rob with you. Okay, so it's really easy to Monday morning quarterback drafts. Like, we can all do it. In the moment, though, generally speaking, the guys that we think really highly of, we want our teams to go and get those guys. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of gave me a little bit of a glimpse of the evaluation process. I want you to take listen to some of these notable misses by GMs. Man, I feel bad putting these dudes on blast, but it is and what it is. You're about to do it. Yep. 2018, <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, they go before Josh Allen. Criminal! Mm criminal and i know there's a decision maker in the national football league that listens to this show because we've had some conversations about it i'm not going to put his name out there but this dude was all on baker mayfield when he was coming yeah. on i remember telling this dude bro you are nuts something is wrong with you and i was on I sam i'm right but i'm just saying so those are a couple misses how about this though josh rosen going 22 spots ahead of criminal lamar jackson yeah that's not good okay defend that one though or maybe like it's once again easy to monday morning quarterback this thing but there were concerns about lamar i mean people were talking about him not even being a quarterback in the nfl yeah but the concerns wasn't because of lamar and his ability the concerns were because the national football league and their coaches were archaic and didn't believe that a guy with this type sure. of ability can lead an offense successfully for the long haul. And Lamar Jackson has proven all of that stuff wrong. I mean, it just is. And you look at Josh Rosen, yes, he reminded me sometimes in his release of Aaron Rodgers at times, but you just look at the way the kid came up and you wondered his passion for the game, and it turned out. I don't know if Josh Rosen loved the game like that. Yeah. All right. Well, the year before that, the Bears actually traded up to take Mitch Trubisky eight spots ahead of whew, another MVP, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to move on from that one. Oh, John Lynch tricked him all that year. I remember saying, dude, you gave up what to go up one spot, bro? He would have been there. Yeah. Just chill. Yeah. Relax. But I digress. 2014, Blake Bortles. 
Johnny Football, Johnny oh. Manziel, went over guys like Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo. That's when the pro days started to become a little bit more theatrical. Remember, he had the music, he had the army fatigue yeah. stuff on, he brought the shoulder pads on. That's when it started to say, you know what, I'm going to create this environment to get myself. To me, that's when that stuff started happening. 2011, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, went ahead of Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick, and Tyrod Taylor. Oh. I got to tell you, Locker wasn't like I... I'm not going to hate on that. No, I can't hate on that either. Right? I can't hate I on mean, that I mean, Dalton's either. longevity and what he's been able to do. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like that, fine. He can be in that mix. But Locker, I, I won't hate on that one. I can't hate on it now. Nah, um, right. The point is, like, we really could go through. And by the way, this is just the last couple of years. We can keep going further back and talk about guys and the misses. But there's certain different traits that you can throw out there, right? Accuracy, speed, physically talented in terms of the throws that they can make, insert any sort of draftism. You know, my favorite one is when they talk about guys having twitch. Yeah. He's twitchy. <laughs> he's there's twitchy. twitchy out there. That just um, means he can run. It, okay. Is it... Why is it for some accuracy versus arm strength that's in favor of one dude, but when you flip it, it might not be, it like works against the guy. Like, why do you what think you that mean? is? Hold up, what you mean? Like the consistency at which you evaluate guys. Like it could be two quarterbacks. One's really accurate. The other's got a big arm. One GM really likes the accurate guy. But then the next year he's like, no, no, you know what? Actually the guy with the strong arm, he's the guy that I want to go. Like it feels like sometimes the value traits change from person to person, year to year. Well, to your point, I think you're, you're right about that. The value traits do change. I think individual teams' situations uh, <laughs> determine, you know, you know how you want and who you want to draft at that position. I mean, you think some teams believe in just building a dominant roster around the quarterback position, making sure. sure that, you know, like my Seahawks did, making sure that quarterback is on that rookie deal so that from a business standpoint, the business of the football, you can pay those guys around them so that roster is dominant. So when the quarterback's ability and his experience does meet all that preparation in the roster building, you have a championship team. Do you have other general managers who come across that guy? You get a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes in the draft, and it's just like, you know what? These guys have so much ability that they can literally be the cologne or the deodorant from for any bad decision that I make <laughs> being a general manager. Yeah, and so up. you give them all the money they want, and you say, you know what? We'll win because we have one of those guys. There's not a lot of people that can walk around and do that, and a lot of general managers get it wrong. I mean, and I know this may not be the favorite opinion amongst some of our fans, but I think the Arizona Cardinals are in that situation. I think they mismanaged Colin Murray. I think they've given that kid a little bit too much power in that organization, and now they've paid him and validated his work ethic and all of the bad behavior and all of those things, and they, they, they paid him and validated him being the leader of that team. So, yeah. I think it just depends on the individual team situations and the individual general managers situations. By the way, because we were talking a little bit about the amount of starts that guys have getting mm -hmm. back to Trubisky and Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, 32 college starts. Trubisky had one year of starts. So even mm -hmm. a little bit more experience, which makes it a you probably a little more salty about it. I am that. a little bit more salty about it. You know what quarterbacks are making? Are you kidding me? And that goes, to me, I think that also muddies the evaluation of Mahomes it. making half a billion. Half a billy with a B. Y'all hear us? Billy. I'm talking about a player, not an owner. 
player making half a billion. And again, like that's why I think it's so hard to evaluate these guys because when you're picking a franchise guy, you know, man, I'm taking 25 to 30 percent of my salary cap and I'm dumping it on this guy. This is his. Now I only got this amount to build my team around. And so the future of your organization and everything is critical to picking that position. I mean, just think about jersey sales. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think teams pick guys just because, you know, Johnny Menzel, he's a, you know, a guy that's going to sell jerseys. That's a great business decision by picking him in the first round. May not equate to wins. Okay, so you're talking about business decisions. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to circle back here and talk about playing decisions that organizations need to make. I think there's another thing that applies not just to quarterbacks, but every single player that has the dreams, the hopes and dreams of playing in the NFL. And that's fit. Where you go, making a difference. How much is that a factor in a quarterback success? Because I think even you brought up Tua before. Mm-hmm. I don't, and this is not a knock on Coach Flores. I mean, th- look at how hard those dudes played for him. I, that's a whole other situation there. But Mike McDaniel comes in. This offense is rolling. And is it a coach? Is it Tyreek in that offense? Is it Raheem Mostert? Like, there, this team looks different. The situation looks better. For Tua, I'd make the same case for every quarterback that's coming out. Like, I, I want those dudes. Yeah, man. And it, that's one of those tricky issues when you're a top quarterback coming in from college. The, the, the I don't want to say bad, but the teams that aren't so good pick first. Yeah. And so, again, it, it really depends on your situation. And I remember seeing Lamar Jackson go to the pick 32 and looks like he's upset. And I remember Prime up there interviewing him. And you could see, you know, that Lamar was a little ticked off. He's like, man, I'm going to win this Super Bowl. But I'm sitting there thinking, bro, you got drafted into a great situation. I mean, look at the Baltimore Ravens. They have one of the most steady front offices and they're player friendly. They understand the business of it and they understand paying their players. You should be happy you got drafted there. Again, some guys don't look at it that way. Some guys look at their position and where they got drafted as respect or disrespect. That was the exact thing that John Lynch said about drafting Trey Lance. He said, we're picking third overall, and typically it's teams that don't have rosters that look like ours. Exactly. And that roster is clearly thriving right now and has got the potential to get to a Super Bowl with Jimmy G at the helm. Current crop of quarterbacks in the NFL. Check this out. 21 of 32 current starters in the NFL Mm -hmm. selected in round number one. None were undrafted free agents, which I thought was interesting. Lowest pick? (laughs) Yo, man, it's still the GOAT. It's Tom Brady. Sixth round, pick 199. And let's be honest. They got lucky and circumstances forced that to happen. Or we wouldn't even be talking about Brady if Bledsoe when he got hurt. I was I was <laughs> flipping through. I don't even know what platform it was on, but there's like a doc on Brady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I'm only watching the trailer. It's like two minutes. And he's talking about, oh, I'm going to the Super Bowl. You guys made the best decision ever drafting me. You know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking back, like there's just a different type of swag for that dude. Yeah, it's a different type of swag. Uh, but I'm going to be honest, and I don't mean to take anything from Tom Brady. All guys who didn't get drafted in the first round who think they should have got drafted higher think that way. It's just not a lot of them are able to stick around long enough to prove people wrong. Is it Justin Jefferson who knows every wide receiver taken before him? He should. I. Uh, he should. Does that sound right to you that guys? Sound, I, I think that is the yeah. truth. He should know every wide receiver. 
Oh, it's Amon Ross St. Brown. That's what it was. By the way, you guys are in a soundproof, like behind a glass. So like when you guys are yelling at me, I can't actually hear what you're saying, but you're right. It was from Hard Knocks. That's how I remember it. Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't yes. know if he, he rattles off every wide receiver taken in front of him. Great name. It's freaking Amon awesome, by the way. Great name, but he should. Yeah. He should know that. And he's a really good wide receiver, by the way. Thanks Absolutely. for the assist, guys. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So beyond Tom Brady, six current starters taken number one overall, but their success Kind of mediocre. They've compiled an overall record of 219, 248 losses, and four ties. So it's Ooh. a 46% win percentage. No, I didn't do the math. Someone did it for mm, me. Mm. Teams who have drafted the most first-round quarterbacks ooh, since 1967, which is the beginning of the common draft era. How about this? The Bengals, the Bears, the Browns, the Colts, the Jets, and the Titans. Wow. All of whom have taken six. And in the case of the Bears and the Browns, Man, I don't even need to tell your fan base. You know where I'm going with this. It has not been pretty. All right, so all of those teams, M-Rob, and I'm talking about the Bengals, Bears, Browns, Colts, Jets, and Titans, put together a combined winning percentage of 47%. And it's only the Colts boasting a record over 500 during that spam. And that's basically for two reasons, really. It's Peyton Manning mm -hmm. and Andrew Luck. Well, yeah, I mean, and those are generational talents. I mean, hell... Peyton Manning pretty much invented a style of offense that's still being ran today. I mean, you just can't. And I think the Bengals, I think they're done looking for their yeah, quarterbacks for now. a while. I, th I think they're good. But uh, the Jets, they could probably still be looking. I'm not so sure about Zach Wilson. All right. So I just gave you some of the numbers. Mm -hmm. First round, guys, that doesn't equal success. No. Are we... I say we, like I actually have the gig. Are teams <laughs> spending too much draft capital to go and get what they think is a franchise quarterback in round number one. I believe so, because, again, you got to understand who I am. I'm a firm believer in building the roster. The quarterback is a football player. He's one of the guys, just like everybody else. And you build the roster around him, which can almost guarantee the success at that position. And then you don't necessarily always have to pay that guy 35 to 40 percent of your salary cap. But, yes, I do think it's a little bit of paralysis by analysis. I do think that we overthink it. I do think that they give up too much draft capital sometimes. But at the end of the day, when you look at the teams who have one of those guys walking around, I mean, they're the ultimate deodorant. They cover up for for bad decisions, uh, bad front office decisions. They cover up for injuries that happen during the season. And general managers, again, they cover up for bad decisions from a scouting department. Well, and, and even speaking of some of this capital, sometimes it does work out. Right. I mean, well, the Rams is an example of that. I mean, they don't have draft picks like God. I mean, we were kind of joking. I think they had one pick in this last draft. So, so again, you you sacrifice your your, your future. future. Yeah. Just to get this one Super Bowl last year. Now you're last in the division. You're 30th in our power rankings. Did you just all want to do it all for one year or do you want to build something that's going to be around and build a legacy that's going to be around for a long time? I don't know. To me, you build a team for the long haul and success will just happen. You don't build it for one year. Isn't the long haul, though, like two or three years? I, let's be fair here, right? Like Aaron Donald banged up. Stafford banged up this year. Cooper Cup banged up this year. Allen Robinson banged up this year. Like no one saw this coming. Like if they didn't get back to a Super Bowl, you'd be like, all right, cool. Like I get it. That happens. Like, well done. You got the, you got the chip last year, but to see it unfold like this, like they were supposed to have at least some legs here. They you know, were supposed two, to three have year run. some legs, but at the end of the day, you, most Super Bowl teams, you're lucky because the health 
fell in your, your favor, favor. No doubt. You know what I mean? If you're going to, if you're a guessing man, which a lot of these general managers are, you kind of got to be when you're guessing your future, right? You got to anticipate injuries happening. You got to anticipate you're going to need some of those draft picks. Yeah. All right. So we're talking about draft capital here, just to put a bow on this conversation. As you would imagine, quarterback selected number one overall, more than twice as any other position. The second most drafted spot. This shouldn't be too much of a surprise considering what we've told you on some of our previous shows, but defensive end. So since 1967, 26 quarterbacks, number one overall, 13 DNs, seven running backs, four offensive tackles, two wide receivers, two defensive tackles, and two linebackers. I would have thought it would have been more tackles being first overall. Again, I, and I understand everything is about the quarterback, so the quarterback, then the guy rushing the quarterback makes yeah. a lot of money, so you know you want, to, you want that guy, but the guy protecting the quarterback means a lot as well. And just because we spent some time talking about 2018, check this out. A little bit of a microcosm of how selecting the wrong quarterback can set a franchise back. Baker Mayfield, number one to the Browns. Darnold, number two to the Jets. Arizona took Josh Rosen. Rosen doesn't make it into year two as a starter mm. there. Combined records of the Jets and the Browns in the three years, subsequent years, 37 and 58 and one. Ooh, that's terrible. That hurts. Yes, it does. Yeah, in it a does big way. A <laughs> All right, so a little bit more on this quarterback draft strategy here. When we come back here on NFL Explain, we're going to see if it's easier or harder to evaluate quarterbacks in this era. Like, think about this, man. Like, all the data that is available to everyone in the front office, all the film, every angle. I mean, hell, you can spin around. We do this on NFL Network all the time, like cameras that spin around on the whole thing. And we might dork out just a little bit. Um, an interesting conclusion, too, from an economist or two economists who tried to quantify how difficult it is to draft a quarterback, and their findings are really significant. We'll tell you what those are. Coming up next on the NFL Explained Pod. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time... 
with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the NFL Explained Podcast. If you have a question, it's like our normal PSA. Dude, just DM me. I promise we will get to as many questions by the end of the season as we can. If you did send one, I look, I hit everyone back, and you guys know this. So if you got a question, if we haven't gotten to it, trust me, we will. But we're talking about quarterbacks here and the draft, uh, the, the difficulty of finding the quarterback that can lead your franchise. Is it easier now, M. Rob? or harder to evaluate guys that play this position compared to, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago? I think it's harder. I really wow. do. Even with all of the information that we have? Yeah, I think sometimes it's too much information. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I hear a lot of people in our business, you know, evaluate quarterbacks and things like that. And you, I don't even hear them talk about just, does this guy win? Does wins follow this person? I mean, to me, that's the, one of the most overlooked genes, just the win gene. You look at some of these guys, and yes, they can throw the ball through a brick wall. They can throw the ball 100 yards, but every level they've been on, they've lost. And to me, that says something about just, you know, who the guy is, the PR of the guy, right, within the team. Can he operate with every group of the team? To me, that goes a long way. And it shows whether or not the team is going to fight for a guy, right? Like we, we talked about the Jets a little bit earlier. You look at the Jets and Mike White versus Zach Wilson. You look at when Zach Wilson has success in the team's reaction and look at Mike White's when he has success in the team reaction. It tells you all you need to know about the leadership of those two guys. I just just think sometimes when we're evaluating quarterbacks, we look at all of this hard data. Oh, he did for this many yards. He had this many starts. Uh, uh, he won this many, this, that, and the third. Did he win games? Yeah. First and foremost, did he win in high school, college? All If he won on all those levels, you know what? It's a pretty good chance wherever this kid goes, he's going to win in the National Football League as well. I'm always amazed by talent evaluators because here's what I'll say. I almost think it's easier on the NFL side to evaluate for the draft than it is to be on the college side and hear me out here years i spent my career covering college athletics and we would do like these signing day shows they throw up the film and be like a four-star dude or a five-star mm -hmm. guy and it's a guy that's like crushing a dude my size and i'm thinking to myself like yeah that guy's gonna look good on tape like look at the competition like the level is just different whereas if you get to and this is why the trey lance thing right like fcs versus fbs power five the whole thing like that's why that was fascinating to me mm -hmm. because the level of competition is just different and clearly you don't need to be in a power five school to thrive in the nfl there's so many examples of that but i almost feel like with with everything that's out there when you the competition is more steady 
I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. I, I would agree with you that the competition is a little bit more steady. And what makes things difficult to evaluate on the college side of things is a lot of these college evaluators, they just don't have the time to see all of the different athletes out sure. here. So they go to these sites and rely on their rankings to see how to look at it. And you end up finding out those rankings are a lot of times paid for. Oh, yeah. And so that's to me, that's what makes it difficult from Italian evaluating or, standpoint in college. Or the guy signs with the team and he goes from a two star to a four or five star, star just yeah. based off of the university. Just because he signed to Alabama. Yeah. And so it boosts yeah. the stock. Yeah. No, there's no question. What about like schematically, right? Like uh, Jalen Hurts, Trey Lance comes to mind. We'll throw Lamar's name into the mix. The college game has looked different at times in the NFL game where now the NFL game is almost catching up to the other levels. How do you think that affects that evaluation? Well, first of all, um, you're 1,000% spot on with that. The National Football League is now just starting to catch up with college. Uh, to me, all the innovation, all the great plays and great play calls happen in college first. The, then the National Football League coaches look at it and they say, oh, we can, you know, we should be doing that. I think the spread offense, the read option, RPOs, yeah. all of those things, they aren't foreign concepts to the National Football League, but it was legitimized in 2017 when the Philadelphia Eagles, with oh, yeah. the way that they did their offense it legitimized it because that style won a Super Bowl and so to me now a lot of teams are looking for these dynamic types of quarterbacks and to me it's malpractice for you to put a guy like Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts to put him in a system where he's throwing the ball 50 times a game to me that's stupid it, I mean it really is like like a 50-yard explosive play, it doesn't matter whether I ran 50 yards, threw the ball 5 yards, you ran 45, or I threw the ball 50 yards. It's still a 50-yard explosive play. And I think that's what now offenses in the National Football League are starting to kind of understand. Like, man, like the guy who touches the ball every single play probably should be my most dynamic player. Yeah. So you can see the athletic ability. You can see what these guys have in terms of arm talent. Sometimes you don't know what's in between the ears. <laughs> the Giants, I love this story. They used to give 200-page psychological exams to different players. One of those guys was Deion Sanders, who actually walked away. In your experience, how much do some of those intangibles, like... How do you how do you figure out like the mental makeup of a guy at, that's going to be the the face of your franchise? Well, again, you, you kind of got to look at him on every level. Does wins follow him? Does you know good energy follow him? Or does negative energy? Does bad situations follow the kid? Um, when, when I look at some of the intangibles, when I'm looking at quarterbacks, first and foremost, the ability for that kid to communicate, right? And I think that's why going to pro days are so critical for some talent evaluators. I want to see a kid in his environment. I want to see him comfortable. I want to see him around his guys he's been throwing to for two, three, four, five years or whatever the case may be. And I just want to see him let it go and let it I want to see him light up a room. Uh, people talked about Baker Mayfield having that ability that whatever room he walked into when he was you know, going through the draft process, that the other quarterbacks would kind of shrink. And his personality would show up and it gave him a leg up. It gave him an advantage. And to me, that is a very important intangible that you got to have. I had a young, I had a football coach when I was eight years, no, nine years old. Yeah, maybe 10 years old, nine years old, I think. Tell me like, dude, like 
your ability to communicate is crazy. You got to watch what you watch on TV, the music you listen to, the books you read, because your gift is when you speak, people listen. So you got to be responsible about what you let in your hand. Yeah. So I knew I knew that early on in, in my life. Another intangible is work ethic. Does this person like a Tom Brady have the ability to be a force multiplier? Can this guy just by his presence and his work ethic elevate everybody else around them. And then finally, for me, I think it's most important, authentic leadership, leading in your way. Let's see, leadership isn't a book that you read and say, oh, you know what? That's what I got to do to be a leader. I'm going to go do that tomorrow. And I've been around guys like that, where the leadership and the things that they say you like, man, you're not real. You know, you're speaking to the team, but you're really not real. A good quarterback and a great quality of a quarterback is having that genuine, authentic leadership. I know for me, I was a guy that when I played quarterback, I love to respond to adversity. So I would create our seven on sevens so that it was nothing but a roast session, really. I mean, we would throw the football or whatever, but I was cracking on the linebackers and defensive backs. They was throwing jokes at me, and it turned into this thing. Everybody loved to come to seven on seven, even the defensive linemen, because it turned into a great roast session. Well, all that adversity and going back at each other and all of those things brought the team together. That was my version of authentic leadership my way. Can you be a quiet leader? Yeah, you can. I mean, you can. But again, if your ability to, in human situations, communicate with a person, I'm not saying you got to be the guy to speak to the entire team. But if, if a guy runs a wrong route, you have to be able to go over there and tell him, and he has to be able to respect your opinion. Sure. And to me, that comes with, again, authentic leadership. It doesn't necessarily have to be the loudest, but authentic, definitely. All right. So speaking of some of these intangibles, you got a couple of economists, David Berry and Rob Simmons. They tried to figure out how you could nail down the process of selecting a quarterback in the NFL draft. 2009, they published a paper, went over decades of Uh, data drafted NFL quarterbacks. Here's what the conclusion was. On a per play basis, quarterbacks chosen with picks 11 through 50, as well as picks 51 through 90, outperform quarterbacks chosen in the top 10 or comparing two quarterbacks with the same NFL experience. The player selected early in the draft is not predicted to have significantly different NFL performance levels than a player pick later in the draft. Mm. They did, however, find that the top picks are given more time to succeed. I go back to Zach Wilson here. I brought up what Mike Garofolo was telling me. Hey, draft positioning matters. Second overall pick. <laughs> what do you make of what the economist came up with? It's some interesting information. I got a lot of thoughts on that. I mean, you know, a lot of football players' dreams are to be drafted top 10, like a dream. Yeah. Like your eight-year-old little boy you fall asleep and you dream of hearing your name called and you're the first pick of the draft. And so I think sometimes when you're a top 10 pick, it's almost like these guys take a breath. Oh, I achieved it. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to some of the other picks, whether it's later on in the first round or later on in the draft or whatever, there's a natural chip on your shoulder to kind of respond to because you didn't all of a sudden meet the goal. And I think there's a, a subconscious something there with that fact that when, when you look at the way, you know, the numbers that the economist got, I do think it's something there. But I do think general managers are scared to pull a plug on some of their draft picks because 
if you do it, it's indicative that you messed up. Yeah, it's a reflection on you. <laughs> it's a yeah. reflection on you. And oftentimes with, with the ego and some of these general managers, they don't want to admit that they messed up and had a bad pick. That's why I got so much respect for people like Bill Belichick, uh, the Bill Polians from back in the day with the Colts and, and guys like that, the Ozzie Newsoms. You know, they're not afraid to say, you know what? I thought this dude was good. But I was wrong. Yeah. And now I'm going to let this guy go and see if he can find employment somewhere else. They're just not afraid to admit that they messed up. To me, that acknowledgement, that humbleness that they come from makes them great. Well, one thing that everyone focuses in on, you don't even have to be a quarterback. You just got to be a professional athlete. You know where I'm going with this, right? What's up? It's like Diddy used to say, man. Or maybe he was Puffy at the time. All about the Benjamins. All about the money. Yeah. Yes. Was he Puffy when he came? Yeah, he, he was Puffy was at that Puffy. point. Yeah. All right. So in the in the previous collective bargaining agreement, top rookie quarterbacks, guys, guys like Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford, Sam Bradford, they're making 70 plus million on their first contract. I remember Bradford, that happening to him. Mm-hmm. My Lord, he might have been even the last guy to take advantage. But most rookies right now are making considerably less. And, and a little insight on that. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, a little no, no, insight on it. that. When I first got in the league, Gene Upshaw, who he was our leader of the union at the time. He said, guys, we want these first round quarterbacks to get this money like this. We want it to be big. And as veterans, they're like, why? And his whole thing was it guaranteed longevity of the player. If the player wasn't panning out, he would have to renegotiate toward the back end of his deal because the team wasn't going to pay him that money. And so it added years to his career. But the way it is now, you see teams just cut the guy. He could possibly be out the league. Well, that's where I was going with it. Like, I almost, isn't that kind of like, not to sound like Darwin, but like, isn't that kind of a good thing? Like, yo, if you can play, you could still be out there. You could. It is, man. And and again, that's why he wanted it structured that way. And again, everybody's like, oh, guarantee you. Oh, why they make us so much money? All of those things. There was a little bit of a backstory behind that and why they wanted those rookie contracts front loaded that way. Okay. So I like where you're going with that. How about this? Because we've spent a lot of time having you take me through the evaluation process, things that you really value. 2023 draft. I would go to 2024 because I already know who's going to be the first overall pick. But in 2023, is there a quarterback that you think should be deserving of being the first off the board? Uh, yeah, who, who's the, the, the Ohio State kid? What's his C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm a Penn Stater. It, it pains me to say this. <laughs> yeah. But that kid, I've seen a big jump from last year to this year. He's willing his team to wins. He can run. He can protect the football. He can make every throw on the football field. To me, that's my number one quarterback. Okay, so I said 2024. I'll tell you this. I don't know if I've seen a... I don't want to say more talented because that's not fair, but a better pro prospect at the quarterback spot than Caleb Williams. Oh, man. And he's not even Dad. eligible yet. I know. I mean, it's you scary about how good he is. He's a true sophomore. Yeah, bro. And he, I could make a case for him winning the Heisman this year. Yeah, well, I think that's going to happen. Always appreciate you guys checking us out. And I know I always throw this out there. You got a question, don't know who to ask. It's me and I'm Rob. Shoot me a DM. We'll make it into a podcast. But why is it so hard to draft the right quarterback? Hopefully we gave you those answers. I always appreciate you guys listening to the NFL Explained Pod. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. 
and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.